Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Uh, we're here today with Dr. Uh, John Ehrenfeld. He's had an incredible career and is a preeminent thinker at the nexus of business, industry, and the environment. He was director of the MIT program on technology, business, and environment, served as the executive director of the International Society for Industrial Ecology, and he's the author of some pretty critically acclaimed books. One, I really love the title, it's called Sustainability by Design, a subversive strategy for transforming our consumer culture and uh, a little bit more recently flourish a frank conversation about sustainability and that's with Andrew Hoffman he's won a bunch of awards he's a Fulbright distinguished scholar he has the requisite number of degrees from a from uh, uh, by universities including a chemical engineering degree from MIT uh, welcome so much today John thanks Happy to be here. I'm glad. I've been looking forward to, and a little bit nervous. I mean, I have to admit, uh, somebody who's thought so deeply about these issues. Um, but I, I want to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about the, the journey it took for you and the context around which uh, led you to the kinds of thinking that you're doing now and, uh, and the kind of thinking that led to the two books, Sustainability by Design and Flourishing. Sure. Um, well, I, I've been mucking around in the environment for uh, a long, long time, starting back in the 60s. Um, I'm trained as a chemical engineer. Um, I'd say a lot of the early problems dealing with, with pollution were, you know, chemical in nature, so it wasn't a, a big jump to get into the field when it started. And I... Uh, I worked in almost every media, air, water, solid waste, hazardous waste, for about 30 years. In my own company for a while. I worked um, in the uh, President Carter's administration in a water resources agency. Um, but eventually, I got back to MIT where I was educated. Um, it was, I don't know, 35 years after I graduated or got my PhD there. Um, and I went back to MIT to help them out in, a, in a, a, some programs dealing with hazardous wastes. Um, but a, a couple years into that, um, we got some money and we started a program called Technology, Business, and Environment. And the name pretty much tells you what it's all about. We were looking at um, how, how business, large, large business, mainly, were coping with, by then, a, a whole panoply of environmental regulations, clean water, clean air, 
uh, Recre, Hazardous, which was Hazardous Waste, Tosca, all these alphabet soup names. Um, that that uh, turned out to be one of the, the very early works looking at business and environment, and it spawned a bunch of really bright PhDs like Andy Hoffman, who was one of my students, who later went to Michigan and, and who, uh, as you said, wrote a book with me. Um, and then, I don't know, around the early 90s, the whole idea of sustainability came out. Uh, the Brundtland Report, the, the UN's uh, book called Our Common Future, it was published in either 87 or 89, I can't quite remember. And it brought out this idea of sustainable development. It was really the, the sort of event that pushed this idea into the, into the world. Uh, MIT being MIT, wanted to take a leadership role, uh, got some money, um, and we started in conjunction with the University of Tokyo and um, the Swiss Federal Technical Institute. We started an international program to try to understand what sustainability was all about. Um, I'd say we did some interesting things, um, but things were getting worse, not better, as, as some of these ideas were being implemented. And then I retired. I retired in 2000 um, with, with some real concerns about this whole idea of sustainability. What, 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 what was it? I mean, what were we talking about? Uh, what was to be sustained. Um, and after I retired, I just kept sort of after the subject and uh, worked on a book, worked on a book for about five years. That's the first one, um, the Sustainability by Design. Um, and so have continued. Now I've been retired for what, 19 years, 20 years. And I've just continued to try to understand uh, what sustainability is all about, why we're worried about it, really looking at its obverse, that is, unsustainability, what's causing it. Um, I have a new book that will be out this year that takes some of my ideas even further. Um, but that's how it happened. Uh, mostly research on my own, a lot of reading. Um, a, a good bit of the early work was based on the research that we did at MIT on business and the environment. But for the last, uh, I'd say, 10 years anyway, it's just mostly stay, sticking with it, looking what's happening. Um, it, 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 it doesn't... That's it. It, I can appreciate that because, you know, I haven't been at the game as long as you, obviously. I, I guess I started around 1990 when the, when the term uh, sustainability, as you mentioned, was you first started to be bandied about in a, in a substantial way. Um, and, you know, the, from my perspective of working on this almost full time, I, I, I just see the problems. Even while some of the solutions seem to be advancing and developing, I see the problems are just further out and further in front of us. Um, in... I think it was in flourishing. Uh, you write something to the effect that the developed world 
uh, is increasingly aware of inconvenient truths about global warming and sustainability and that it's turning, you know, attention to kinds of remedies that I talk about a lot, uh, eco-efficiencies, uh, sustainable development, whatever that means, corporate social responsibility, probably throw in impact investing in there as well. And, uh, and you suggest that these are mere band-aids. I'm not sure I disagree with you. Uh, I'm a little bit depressed about that, but, but what do you mean by my mere, mere band-aids? Well, they're not getting at the root causes of why we, why we have these issues, why we have these problems. Um, you know, it's putting, putting, uh, trying to plug up the 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 sources, but um, carbon dioxide is a secondary product of economic activity. Most pollutants are a secondary product of economic activity. So if you don't look at at at, at sort of the basic source of the the uh, the junk that's causing all these problems, um, you're missing, missing the point. I mean, it's, it's, it's like giving somebody aspirin for, you know, cancer. It'll stop some of the pain, but it isn't going to do anything to the underlying disease. And, and the, I don't mean to be sort of path, use, use such stark metaphors. They just came out. But things are getting worse in spite of we're getting better at dealing with them in the sense of becoming more efficient about it, simply because growth, global growth particularly, but same here in the U.S., has overwhelmed any any gains in so-called eco-efficiency, some measure of the of, you know, lessening of the, a unit of pollutant per unit of production or consumption. And that is uh, co-joined with, you know, increasing economic inequality, I think, and, and social problems that are are getting ahead of us as well. And, I, you know, you, you look at the Green New Deal and they put all those things together and I go to myself, I say, hell, can we actually treat all those things at once or should we just focus entirely on the climate and, 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 and put the other things on hold for a while? Well, it's interesting you should bring up the Green New Deal because... I, I'm working today. I haven't put a blog post up for a, a few weeks, and I'm writing one on the Green New Deal and uh, the same issues. It, it, it's got a lot of meritorious things. It's good to reduce these impacts, but it doesn't get at the, the source. I mean, Thomas Piketty wrote a book, Capital, a few years ago, and he makes a pretty good argument that inequality is coupled to capitalism. You know, it, it, economic growth, the more growth you're going to get, the more inequality you're going to get, unless you really change the, the, the sort of way that modern Western capitalism works. So you, you just can't fix it up simply by, uh, you know, applying some kind of Band-Aid. I just use Band-Aid as a metaphor for some kind of technological or technocratic uh, so-called solution. Right. Well, listen, I want to take a short break right now and then come back and maybe we can talk a little bit about what you what you see as the cause and some of the possible solutions to to remedying, uh, you know, big issues like climate change. So 
We're talking with John Ehrenfeld, author and professor uh, emeritus of MIT. You can check out his ideas at uh, John Ehrenfeld, sorry, dot com. That's John E H R E N F E D L D. Sorry. They paid paradise and put up a fucking line with a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? It'd be in paradise and put up a fucking line. You took all the trees and put them in a tree museum. And charge the people a dollar and a half to see them. No, 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 don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone. You'd be in paradise and put up a fucking lie. Welcome back. With we're with John Ehrenfeld, uh, professor emeritus of MIT and author of Sustainability by Design: A Subversive Strategy for Transforming Our Consumer Culture and Flourishing. A frank conversation about sustainability, amongst other works, uh, and you can check him out on, on his blog. Um, John, you suggested uh, sustainability in the business context is driven by the old guard. Uh, and it's become a little more than a fashionable idea. I mean, we talked a little bit about that before the break. Um, if you were to give uh, advice to regulators or, or companies on how to have a positive, disruptive uh, business, uh, what would that advice be? Well, I'm not sure I would uh, – that that's the focus. I mean, I think that – you know, I I don't mean to to to, uh, to dump on business or government. It's good to reduce levels of pollution. Uh, anything that's done in there is going to make things less harmful. So that that that's not where I'm going. I'm basically arguing that our culture, our whole you know Western ideas, are built on Western cultures are built on a set of ideas that lead to the kind of, of political economies that, that uh, demand growth. And once you're in a, 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 a economy that demands growth, um, you're stuck. So you have to do something about the, the sort of the, the root, I hate root causes fairly, you know, I don't want to, I, I do mean the term, it's sometimes badly used, but to look at the whole culture and try to, to understand, well, why do we have this notion of, of growth? And it, it really can be, part of it can go back to, um, I'd say even enlightenment ideas about what it is to be human being and the role of, of the 
Adam Smith's model of the self-interested human being still dominate, dominant. Uh, it's at the heart of neoclassic economics, and neoclassic economics is the heart of the models that form the political economy. Um, and if if he's right, and I don't believe he is, I, you know, we're stuck. <laughs> I think we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, we're overeating, and we we're faced with a bloody big stomachache. <laughs> I don't think that that's what what it's all about. So we have to go dig very, very deep to understand uh, where this stuff is really coming from. Um, well, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think, I think the, the, the understanding, you know, these issues from a say anthropological or sociological perspective is, is probably more merited than a lot of people would like to, 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 to admit but I mean, having said all that, I mean, put some, let's put some flesh on those bones. I mean, what do you mean, actually mean by, you know, things like transforming our culture to something other than, you know, greed and hate and want and desire to something else? Well, there's a, there, there's a, uh, there is an alternative to try to describe the human being, not as one who's needy, but one who's caring. And, and if you, you just sort of start with that notion um, and, and, and begin to, to build a castle on that as the foundation, um, it, 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 the, the materiality that, that comes out of, of our economic models disappears. I mean, you're still going to want things, but there'll be for generally your ability, capabilities to care, to, to take care of, one, the world, which is badly neglected, you know, two other people, which are increasingly neglected if you look at the big institutions and what's happening inside, and to take care of yourself. I mean, we have a, we have a crisis in this country of obesity, of mental illness, of alienation, um, well, <laughs> so that's one. That's one part of it. Is it, yeah. it is, and you know, I and I can't. It would take a lot longer to try to um, elaborate that, and I hesitate to do that because of what I think is the second root cause, and that is the sort of Cartesian model of the world, that a world we can understand by the application of science. It's a reductionist world. Science only works when we have, when we take things out of context. And yet all the important things are contextual. We have to look at the whole system. Um, so, the, the, but, but, the, but the, the sort of damning thing about complexity is that by its very nature, you can't predict how complex systems are gonna behave. So when someone asks the question, okay, John, what, how, how, how do we know what's going to happen? Um, you know, I, I back off. I say, you got to try it. We can be smart about what direction we're going. But the whole idea that we can predict the outcome is one of the problems itself. Because we've taken to believe that 
(laughs) Economics will do this and political solutions will do that. And the stuff you buy in the grocery store or the shop will do this for you, but neglect all the unintended consequences because the models that have been used uh, are incomplete. I mean, I have to say it is easier to, to be diagnostic here than to be prescriptive, although I think you can come up with some fairly broad uh, descriptive uh, approaches. I've done a lot of work on on my own on this as well, because I'm fascinated by the cultural aspect of things. And this whole issue of scarcity has been the issue that I've focused on. Is so many people live in fear of and or actual scarcity. And that drives them to accumulate. I know that's sort of a facile uh, interpretation of it. But if you look at, you know, I've also studied a lot on Buddhism. And, you know, you say, okay, but their main, the main thrust there is to say compassion towards other people and yourself. And if you combine those two, maybe there is a solution. Is that the transformation? Is it a religious transformation, John? I think there, there are uh, out there from Buddha, from Jewish sages, from the world of Christendom uh, that can support a caring, compassionate world. I mean, though I'm Jewish, as I understand, you know, the the basic tenets of Christianity, love is about taking care of people. Um, That's the same as I'm talking about. Um, So it's a matter of, of how people actually behave, not, I think, the, the religious um, uh, dogmas that, that are, that, uh, you know, that really, really define some of the values in the great world religions. I think the values are probably pretty good. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any problem with that. I mean, in essence, what we're looking at, or, or what you're suggesting, is some kind of transformational mindset, essentially. Yes. You've written this. And- yes, it is. And um, that's a good segue to what I want to say next. And I, uh, I said I've written another book. It's, it's, at, it's at a publisher. It should be out this, uh, this year, uh, hopefully sooner than later. But it's all about mindset. And, and I've been... been uh, convinced by by a lot of recent work in neuroscience uh, that really um, that the human brain as we know is is got two sides to it and more and more knowledge is being developed that show these two sides are very different Um, one is the side of compassion connection uh, empathy and the other side is the side of sort of the, the, the generic worlds out there, the abstract worlds, and that the culture reflects the dominance of, of one or the other. Historically, you can find cultures that were, were caring and compassionate, and now we're living in a modern world where it's basically abstract, commodified. Even, you know, you look at work, the nature of work has gone from a sort of personal relationship between workers and managers to one where workers are by and large looked on as commodities. The, the humanities disappear. So the fact that this, this encourages me that 
that that's that that uh, is um, transformable. You can you can by uh, you know doing meditation, for example, strengthen that right side of your brain. So there there's there's a way to begin, that, and that's that's as far as I can go. Um, but I do think that if we would follow that that way to begin, it's going to uh, sort of in a, in a dialectic way begin to change the cultural institutions. And the more they're changed, the more you behave in the way that those rig- those those uh, drivers are, and it it can can slowly um, just transform who we are as human beings and how we. Uh, form an economy. Uh, the economy is is sort of the the, the outcome of of human interactions, and, but it's the economy that produces the the ill effects. So we've got to transform that economy in a way that we're, we're making things to support people's caring and not their needs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you start to advertise differently, you know, you're going to change. The power of advertising and, 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 and so persuasive technology is immense today, yeah. particularly in the, in the new, new you know, uh, social media and uh, digital technology. I mean, these things grab you and pull you in. They don't have to be that way. Yeah, I mean, I one of my taglines is, you know, there's this this thing out there called the the, the deep consumer state where there's a bunch of, you know, uh, companies and pundits and even some government agencies that try to convince us full time that if we buy lots of stuff we don't need at prices we can't afford with credit we don't really have, we're going to be happy. And that, yeah. and that's demonstrably untrue. People are more miserable today, I think, than any point in history, despite the fact of all the resources that we have at our disposal. And it seems to juxtapose this irony. Yeah, well, I don't know that people are. I think, you know, that, that's, that's a Western notion. If you, you've got to give uh, economic development some points if you look at, say, China and India. Uh, I think people are arguably, demonstrably, you know, better off than, than they have been historically. And that's due to the whole idea of, of a Western-like uh, development program. But you've got an awful lot of people living in Europe and the U.S. who I would certainly agree with you are not better off if you look at the sort of existential basic humanity of us. Yeah, yeah. But I would also argue, John, though, that, um, that the two ideas – uh, being able to care and, and transform in a, in a caring way is not exclusive to being able to raise the material uh, welfare of people around the world. In fact, I think they're probably more closely uh, correlated than we like to think. And I think we can see the, I think we can see the impact of, you know, increasing inequality, demonstrating that it really is probably a better model to go towards caring as opposed to just keep going on the model we are. I mean, I, I've worked in 40 different developing countries. I don't see people happy there, John, honestly. <laughs> Even no, though the material wealth has gone up. but Yeah, no, I, I won't argue. I don't have the data you do, so 
<laughs> well, I, I'm not sure it's data as much as just standing in the middle of a street going, oh, my God. Hey, but when you're looking at whether humans are flourishing or not, that's the only way you can do it. That's true. But, you know, I got scared. The, <laughs> I got scared a little while ago, and it's just stuck in my head. You know, I forgot the, the, the head of the International Monetary Fund is a, is a, a European woman. I've forgotten her name. And uh, she said, you know, the world's better off because people can buy 30% more stuff now than they could 30, 30 years ago. And I go, is that really how we want to, you know, benchmark our, our civilization? Yeah, but that's the answer. But the answer is yes. Hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's the shame of it. Yeah. And that's, that's why we're, we're uh, you know, we're, we're desperately seeking technological fixes, Band-Aids, because that's the model. Here's the woman who's, uh, you know, one of the most powerful financiers in the world, producing growth. Yeah. Without without this sense, I don't know. I just read today, uh, just before I went on with you, the amount of plastic in the oceans has tripled since 1970. Triple. Triple. You know, it's it, 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 it's not only aesthetically bad, but it's really destroying a lot of fisheries, and we need them. Uh, so. It, well, I mean, the damage that we've done, I agree with you entirely. I think a lot of this, the, the things that we've come up with to try and ameliorate our, our, our impacts are nothing more, as you say, than Band-Aids. And, and we do need a transformation badly. And whether or not we can transform, I don't know. I, I'm more of a cynic these days than I used to be, John. Well, I... I um... Cynical, I'm not. Uh, skeptical in some ways, I certainly am. But hopeful, I am. And the, the last chapter of, of the book, Flourish, is really uh, my, my buddy Andy asked me about hope. Um, I, I don't see we have any choice here. Um, uh, we've been disappointed by, by the, the attempt at, at te technological solutions. And... and uh, uh, but one of the characteristics of, of the Western um, ideas, Western world, is is technological optimism. So we keep thinking, well, we'll just put enough money behind it, yep. have a nice Manhattan project, and then everything will be all right. I don't think it will, um, because that's one of the problems. Yep. You know, we made nuclear energy, nuclear bombs to win a war. And uh, the consequences a world at risk, um, unintended. The whole idea of, of, of uh, unsustainability, if you put all these problems in a bucket and call them unsustainable, unsustainable, they're unintended consequences of our modern way of doing things. The fact that kids are becoming alienated uh, by the way they use um, smartphones and other social media, that's unintended. Nobody really wanted that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's the nature of the beast. The models are always reductionist, and they go into a context which is real. Things happen contextually, but that's not the way we do things. 
and, and, and it wouldn't work very well uh, because the, the power of, of science technology is that it, it's abstract. Yeah. Abstract. Yeah. So, I, I've, yeah. Al I've always said, John, that you, we've, we're trying to tech ourselves out of the problem. So I, I can't agree yeah. with you more. And yeah, if you look, you look at health sciences, we do the same thing. We get sick and we see ourselves as a machine that we can actually fix. And that's absolutely not right. Well, I, I don't, but my doctors do. <laughs> <laughs> my wife certainly doesn't. I'll tell you that. Uh, we yeah. take we take more herbs in this family. <laughs> yeah. But I listen, John. I I really appreciate the time you've taken to speak with us today. And and your book, uh, the new one coming out is uh, Flourish. No, the new oh. one's going to be called The Right Way to Flourish: Reconnecting with the Real World. Well, I hope that it'll be, it'll be published by Routledge and it's just gone into the production phase. So I don't know how long that takes, but it's pretty well along. Well, I hope that uh, I can get a copy and read it. Maybe we can uh, talk a little bit more. I certainly appreciated the time you've taken. Well, today. I'd love to do that. This is great. Thanks for asking me as uh, they always say on the PBS news. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been a real pleasure, and I've been looking forward to speaking with you for a long time. Uh, we've been talking with Joan Aaronfield today, Professor Emeritus of uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology and an author of several important books on sustainability. You can check out his work at johnaaronfeld.com. It's E-H-R-E-N-F-E-L-D. Uh, and I want to remind you, if you want uh, more blogs, pods, and videos, you can check out The Sustainable Century. And remember to rise, rebel, and regenerate. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields. I'm the host of The Sustainable Century. And remember to check out our pods, blogs, and videos at thesustainablecentury, all one word, dot net. Or you can see us at CSR Counts on Twitter. And remember to buy, invest, and vote for a happier and healthier, more sustainable world. Thanks again. <laughs>